podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. It's the moment of the evening every K-State fan enjoys. Settle down and pour a whiskey, crack open a LaCroix. Please put your hands together and make a little noise for your favorite Wildcatters, the handsome Bosco boys. Boom, the boys are back, and while he has it's gone, it's been a while since he's been on, he continues to rise up the rankings on most appearances as a guest on Bosco's Boys. He is the main man over at On Three K State Online. He probably is, uh, man, I don't know, he, he might be one third of the most popular K State podcast around over three mall with kansas city sports network but i'm just gonna always know him as my friend who i went back and forth a million times on a chicken wing bet on whether or not texas and oklahoma were going to be in the big 12 in 2024 his name is Derek young Derek, how are you doing today my friend i'm good yeah that chicken wing uh specifically at the peanut so this was no just your standard chicken wing either so these are going to be some good chicken wings and probably some good beers as well um at the peanut in kansas city uh i there was probably like you said about 18 different moments where i thought i was certainly going to lose that bet and i will say (laughs) Even though it did end, uh, they are leaving a year early. I I actually nailed the year, though. I did say it was 24 when the SEC would start their new television deal. You you did. And you you know what's funny about all that is, like, maybe, like, 48 hours beforehand, there was the Brett McMurphy report. We're like, oh, yep, nope. Uh, They they tried. It's not going to happen. I was like, all right, the peanut wings. What's actually funny about it, another, you know, third of of the Three Mile podcast, Cole Manbeck, he and I back in November had the exact same bet, but I was saying Tulane basketball would not make the NCAA tournament. He was quite adamant they were. It looks like I'm going to win that. So it's going to be a uh, interesting thing. If I can get you both there at the same time, yes, I'll have to pay for yours. He'll have to pay for mine. So the only one not getting free wings is Cole, unless he can swindle someone into uh, you know some sort of bet. And then he he might be able to come out, you know, you know, net neutral as well. Yeah, Tulane's not going to make the tournament. I don't, not really that all that close to making the tournament. Nevada will make the tournament though, so that was the flip flop. You kind of lost Tulane; they disappointed, but Nevada over exceeds expectations. And then I think if we're going to look at the another non conference team that can make the NCAA tournament, an, another. Uh, another non-con team that was on Kent State schedule. It's probably Radford. Uh, Not that they're not a bit, but they have a chance to win. I think they're in the Big South. They have a chance to win that tournament. Yeah, I was just about to bring up Radford that they might be able to make some noise uh, in their conference tournament. I know I'm not uh, doing any of the scheduling. I need to talk to my friend Marco Bourne about this. But uh, Cleveland State, my buddy Scott Garrett, still the AD up there. They made another great hire, and you know they they're in the mix for the Horizon regular season championship. They might be making some noise in the uh, uh, postseason. There, I, I say we get Cleveland State to come on down next year, and you know for one of these buy games instead of uh, you know some of the 
uh, I'll just say some of the other teams. I was going to say something that was probably a little insensitive of some of the squads that came down to Manhattan this. Yeah, Cleveland State has a chance to win the Horizon League, but are they? Uh, there's, they're they're right there. It's a tight race, actually. If you, yeah, if you get into all the other conferences as much as I have, I think they're in there with like Youngstown State's at the top. Um, and Cleveland State's just a game behind them, but Northern Kentucky and yeah, Milwaukee I was about are... to say the the Norse, the NKU Norse. Um, yeah, no, I I tell you what, I watch, I probably watch. I'm not going to claim amongst K State fans to watch the most Horizon because I don't know if that's true or not. But because of how much I I enjoy uh, Cleveland State and I root for them, I do watch a lot of the Horizon. So I want to get Cleveland State into Bramlage. But this is not a conversation about basketball. Maybe we'll have like some sort of selection Sunday mega cast where we get people on from all the different K State podcasts on the one show. Uh, preferably mine, so I can steal downloads from everyone else's fans <laughs> uh, <laughs> and talk about some of the uh, the bracket stuff. Um, but I wanted to talk specifically about the K-State football staff because I, I think there was a lot of news and a lot of talk and discourse around, uh, you know, Colin Klein, and we'll talk about that for sure. But I think because how much focus, whether it be positive or, you know, for a run of time negative with the men's basketball team, I think the hiring of Coach Middleton, the new wide receivers coach, kind of went underneath the radar a little bit. Uh, first, what can you tell me about the search that they had, and what can you tell the Boneheads about this coach? Uh, you know, I wasn't completely, you know, I wasn't against it, but some of the other names, I was like, all right, all right. But you really helped convince me with some of the writing you had on KSO why Middleton was the correct guy. Yeah, I think they considered three or four different guys for for the role I don't, I don't know that there was more than two formal interviews there may have been but i was only aware of two of those but i think they did consider three or four different options the other interview was joel Fellaini or Fellani. i'm not sure how it's pronounced uh, the former coach um receivers coach at texas tech he spent some time in north texas as well a lot of air raid stuff and he's been with different guys that were from the mike leach coaching tree essentially most recently at Washington state um, a weird breakup with them. I don't know if that really played a role in him not getting the Kansas state job. It probably didn't because they were still willing to interview him. And I think he interviewed with Steve Sarkeesian for the vacant Texas receiver coaching job as well. Um, that might've just been a mutual um, separation there between Falani and, and Washington state. Ultimately Kansas state picks Matthew Middleton. Uh, I think uh out of the two interviews, I think his was probably the the better one, and and that's why they leaned that way. Um, Dad Ward obviously is the guy that that left Kansas State to take the Illinois job, and when he was hired, I believe Middleton even interviewed with Kansas State at that time um, about a year ago. So this was a guy that's kind of been on Chris Kleiman's radar for a little bit, and he got his guy. And at the end of the day. I mean, you interview at the same place twice for the same spot, and you're from Kansas City. I think it's clear that he had a, a great desire to return home, so to speak. Yeah, he, he was a, an alum of Bonner Springs High School, I believe. And uh, you really helped, you know, lay this out over on K-State Online. He seems to be one of the more highly thought of kind of up-and-coming position coaches, especially, you know, in the G5 uh, you know, realm uh, what does his previous spots and some of the coaches he was able to coach with and coach under, what does that tell you about 
the quality and kind of the uh, offensive pedigree he's going to be bringing to uh, the veneer family football complex. Yeah, he's certainly respected in in coaching circles on the offensive side of the ball for being, I don't want to say he's young, but for being a guy that's still kind of climbing up the ladder, so to speak. Uh, he worked for Sean Lewis at Kent State. He was about to ret- work for Alex Galesh at, at USF. Uh, he was only employed with the Bulls for about a month, I believe. Uh, Alex or Sean Lewis was the head coach at Kent State that he worked for for a handful of years that took the OC job at Colorado under Deion Sanders. Uh, Sean Lewis was also a candidate to leave Colorado after just a month as well because um, he interviewed and, and was it was considered by Marcus Freeman at Notre Dame. Very bright offensive mind that I think is probably going to become more and more popular when it comes to the brand of offensive football that's kind of encapsulated college football at this point. Sean Lewis's name is certainly, I'm not saying he's Lincoln Riley, but he's kind of on that very fast ascent up offensive minds that Lincoln Riley and now Garrett Riley were at one point. And then Alex Galesh, same thing. And he's probably more accelerated right now than Sean Lewis as indicated by being a head coach. But I mean, Josh Heupel has always had a pretty good offense. Um, he had a pretty good one at Tennessee, but it definitely took another step when he had Galesh as his offensive coordinator that earned him the USF job. So two of the better minds in college football on the offensive side, certainly speak highly or think highly enough of Matthew Middleton to the point where he's their first hires or, you know, one of their main hires on the offensive side of the ball. So that's that's enough for me to like what he brings to the table in terms of offensive pedigree. But, you know, the proof is in the pudding, too. And at Kent State, he had Isaiah McCoy in 2020 earned first-team All-Mac honors. And this past year, everyone knows Dante Sivas, uh, first-team All-Mac receiver for the second year in a row, transfers to Penn State, probably going to be an NFL talent. But he wasn't even the only one. Devontae Walker was also a first-team All-Mac wide receiver under Matthew Middleton. So that's just three in the last three years. And Walker is transferring to North Carolina. So he basically turned group of five talent into power five talent, uh, was unable to keep him, but I can't imagine it's very easy to do so at Kent State. Yeah, especially when you got, you know, North Carolina, Penn State, you know, you know, we all love Maction, but, you know, if you have those programs calling for you, you probably go. Um, We're going to talk about, uh, you know, K-State's offensive mind here shortly. But if you guys are listening to this on release day right in Manhattan, one of the best Fat Tuesday get-togethers in the state is happening at Manhattan Brewing Company. Not only do they have some very party-themed beers that they will be debuting on that day, they're going to have some signature cocktails. They're going to have some food trucks out there. It is going to be a fun time at Manhattan Brewing Company. Also keep an eye because coming this spring, they will start distributing here in the Kansas City area. So we're going to uh, buy out all the Manhattan Brewing Company beer right here in Kansas City. But if you're going to see K-State versus Baylor, make sure you stop in beforehand, get a couple pints, and then head up to Bramlage Coliseum. All right, Derek, um, we're a few, well, not a few, we're about a week removed now from Colin Klein deciding to stay at K-State. It seems like it's forever ago. You know, that was, you know, it, it was what? It was like Thursday through Sunday. I don't even remember the days. Thursday through Friday. I don't know. It seemed like 20 days all in the course of like 18 hours. Uh, there was some of the rumors starting to spit out there about, you know, a flight here or there. Then all of a sudden the football scoops article. And then all of a sudden it sounds like he has an offer. Uh, and then sure enough, 
uh, the next morning, uh, he decides he's going to stay at K-State. Um, what is it about K-State that made him decide to stay? I think it's it might be uh, simplistic to look at and be like, hey, that's his alma mater, that's home. But were, were there any other things? Because, I mean, there's a good chance he was leaving anywhere between $500,000 and a million bucks on the table deciding to come back to K-State. Yeah, he's leaving money on the table to remain with Wildcats, that is for sure. <laughs> Excuse me. And um, it is love for Alma Mater. He just cares a lot about Kansas State. It's it's his home. I mean, he grew up in Colorado, but if you ask him what where home is now, I'm, I'm sure he says Kansas State and Manhattan, Kansas. He's got his family. He's got kids now with, with, the, with his wife, and they're as embedded as in Manhattan and Kansas State as they've ever been. And, and I, I brought this up to some people and, you know, it doesn't sound like a lot, but it is a lot. I mean, I think Taylor Bratt was around for it as well. So those two, Colin Klein, Taylor Bratt, I think aside from Bill Snyder, are the only people at Kansas State that have been a part of two Big 12 football championships. There's three guys um, and two of them oh are coaches. Gosh, yeah. that's so, wild. Yeah, I, I think, mean, I think people lost sight of that when once that happened this past December. Bill Snyder won two Big Twelve championships at Kansas State, but until this past year, nobody else had, um, because I don't think anyone was around in 2012 that was there in 2003, other than Coach Snyder. But I could be wrong. Um, I think you're right. So Colin Klein would be the second coach. Taylor Brad, obviously, in a support staff manner. So I think just, I don't know if he took that into the equation, but that's how much he means to Kansas State. And I think he certainly feels that. And I think his love and care kind of plays into that as as well. I mean, it, this is home. And I don't know if he's ever going to come out and say it, but I think it, and then this will probably come as a surprise to nobody. If you hook him up to a lie detector test and say, what do you want to do the rest of your career? It's probably be the head coach of Kansas State. And so leaving that school, even if maybe it's a fast tracks as professional development in that fashion, um, maybe that's appealing. But I, I just at this point, based on his first year's success as an offensive coordinator as well, and what I project him to be in terms of uh, success and prestige as an offensive coordinator, he's already getting off by Notre Dame discussions from Alabama, Texas A&M. I understand he probably wants to be the next Kansas State head coach. I don't think he has to leave to get to be the next one. I think he can just get promoted from offensive coordinator. So I thought that especially once Big 12 play started going, I was like, yeah, you know, Colin Klein, he had a solid year. Um, and, and I'm not a football, you know, coaching savant. I don't have my ear to the ground on like what people see or don't. But when the Notre Dame stuff popped up I was a little surprised and then when talking to a few folks uh in the aftermath of that I was surprised to hear that hey yeah he was a name that was on Alabama's radar whether or not he had formal talks with them I don't know uh he was a name that had Texas A&M was wanting to talk to him and it was like eh thanks but no thanks when you hear some of these programs and, and you look back to this year on offense you know I kind of scratch my head. I was like, man, you know, what was it? Was it really that good? Was I not appreciating how good this season was? Um, were you surprised to hear some of these programs coming after him after just one year? Or is that kind of lining up with, with uh, what you were thinking? Like, Hey, this guy is already a superstar offensive coordinator. The success that he had in the 
creativity that he showed and how he kept learning and improving as the year went on. I mean, I think they were the number one offense at a big 12 at the end. Um, I think that in itself was conducive to someone garnering this kind of attention. I think the only surprise would maybe be that everyone else had completely bought into him already in that fashion that they didn't need to see it happen again. I think that would be the surprise because it, it and it has only been one year, even when he was the co-offensive coordinator under Bill Snyder um, back in, I think it was the 2018 season. That was Andre Coleman was the primary play caller. was not Colin Klein. You could argue maybe that was backwards, but that's what that was. This was his first year as the primary play caller. And Bill Snyder probably had his fingers a little bit more in the play calling than Chris Kleiman ever has. But oh, of course, especially with their backgrounds and coaching being what it is. So um, the way that he was able to deploy his offense, the style that he incorporated, the success that he had, his constant improvement and evolution throughout the year. I don't think that anyone is uh, should be surprised just based on, you know, those nuts and bolts that these types of programs were interested in him. But again, you would, the only surprise to me would maybe be he's only done it once. You might want to see a larger sample size, but they're completely bought into him. And not that he just won't say no again, Obviously, if this continues, his success continues as a primary play caller like we envision it being, then this probably won't be the first time that Kansas State has to play a little defense to keep him, you would think. No, I, I definitely hear you there. Um, another conversation, it, I, th- I think it almost hit a boiling point when K-State fans, at least the ones on the internet who are following it uh, you know, very closely, that you know, 18 to 36-hour period, um, they're really clamoring for the announcement of, you know, Chris Kleiman extension, new contracts for all the assistant coaches. The vibe I've gotten, and you can tell me if I'm off base, I feel like most of the work, the legwork for almost all the coaches had already been done. And for a while, we've just kind of been sitting on, you know, borrowed time before it to be announced. And I, I, I thought, I always thought that once we heard who the wide receivers coach was, that became official very shortly, we'd be hearing new contracts for everyone else. Is my prediction off? Is there still work for some of these coaches to be done? Because I believe the last time this happened, a lot of stuff was announced all in one press release. So that's what I'm assuming we're going to get. Yeah, I would imagine you don't, you're not going to have like nine or 10 different press releases announcing each, you know, raise for each assistant coach. Cause I imagine everyone's going to get a little bit of a, of a boost just based on the, you know, the results of the year being what it was. And, and you'll probably, what what probably happened is Chris Kleiman has a new allotment financially for his staff as a whole. And he has just been kind of putting, because he has to distribute that money the way he sees fit. Right. So some of that is, you know, you come to an agreement with coach Kleiman, not just on his salary, but his assistant salary. And then he has to, basically basically decide how to allocate those new monies that he probably has at his arsenal and spread it around to everyone to where everyone is really satisfied. And then Gene Taylor has to have the athletic department come to an agreement with him. A lot of moving parts and you're doing this for what upwards of, I don't know if the support staff is included. They might be. So maybe upwards of 
15, 20 different people as well. And then you probably get close to it being done or it's done for most of them, like 95% of it done. And then, oh crap, might lose my offensive coordinator. So you probably have to maybe reshuffle some financial dollars or go to some other people for more dollars to kind of make everyone whole again. And then you're like, okay, crap. Now I have to hire a new wide receivers coach. And so there's just been a lot of moving parts like you. I imagine that 90% of it has been done for probably over a month. And um, really what it comes down to is you probably want to make one announcement instead of multiple. Yeah, I, I definitely hear you there. Um, specifically when you look at the offensive side of the ball, we, we already talked about coach Middleton and some of the pedigree and the great offensive minds, uh, considering him, a you know, a in-demand commodity. We talked about, uh, you know, coach Klein. Um, we've talked in the past about how highly thought of Connor Riley is. Um, I think everyone, uh, loves kind of the enigma that is Brian LePac and then, you know, Coach Brian Anderson, oh, ho-hum, you know, he he just, you know, got done coaching a back-to-back consensus All-American. Especially when you look at the offensive side of the ball, how high can this current staff, however long they're together, how high can they take this K-State offense? Yeah, I, I am impressed with the assortment of coaches that they have on that side of the ball. And they all like one another. That's a really good starting point. I mean... It seems so simple, but just having people that like to work together and like one another goes a long way. Just like within the locker room, you have players actually care for each other. If you care for each other, if you love each other, you'll play a lot harder. I mean, sometimes it can be so simple. It's about having great players, and it's also about having guys that like each other and are willing to pour it out for each other on a daily basis. And I think they have that across both coaching staff and the football roster itself. Um the ceiling is high for the offensive staff and what's going to help is to have a, and I know they just replaced an offensive coach, but a modicum of continuity that hasn't necessarily been there. You just switched off into coordinators last off season. You've, you've switched wide receiver coaches almost every year under head coach, Chris Kleiman. I know that's not his fault, but it, it sometimes it's just bad luck, but I think what it's the fourth wide receiver coach, and this is his fifth season, I want to say. Correct. Um, correct. Yeah. Yeah. Because he started out with Jason Rand. Did they just finish his fifth or just finish his fourth? They just, well, 19, just finished his fourth. So they will be entering their fifth season yes, at Kansas. Sobe is with- the fourth in five years because Jason Ray was the first two years. Then it yeah. was uh, Messingham, and then it was uh, Thad Ward. Thad Ward, and now it'll be Matthew Middleton. And Phillip Brooks is coming back for a sixth year. If you look at him, he's had five different receiver coaches in six seasons. Yeah, that, that uh, Phillip Brooks kind of reminds me, I, I believe it was Clint Stewart who played four years at K-State with three different coaches because he was Jim Waldridge, uh, uh, Bob Huggins, and Frank Martin. Uh, so, uh, you know, he Phillip Brooks is one-upping that one. Yeah, he had uh, he had Andre Coleman for one season, Jason Ray for two, two. Messingham for one, Courtney Messingham for one, Thad Ward for one, now Matthew Middleton for one. So oh Phil Brooks, gosh. I guess Seth, I think Seth Porter will be able to say the same thing. Yeah, 
Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Seth Porter was there too. Yeah, that was his red shirt year. Yeah. So Philip Brooks and Seth Porter will have five different position coaches uh, throughout their college career. Um, and I want to say one, two, probably three or four different offensive coordinators, really. Um, just a heck of a journey. That I mean, I, I like this offensive staff. Like I said, it's pretty wholesome. A little bit of continuity goes a long way. Brian Anderson, this will be all five years under Chris Kleiman, Colin Klein, all five years under Chris Kleiman. This will be a second as OC. Uh, Connor Riley, all five years under Chris Kleiman. So you have three guys that have been there for five years. LePac, this will be year two. Year three, year two as a uh, on-field uh, assistant coach. And this will be the first for Middleton, obviously. So I think a little bit more continuity will even make it a better group. Speaking of continuity on the defensive side of the ball, uh, look, they, they've only turned over uh, – well, I guess they've turned over linebacker coach. And then That's they've it? given uh, – yeah, and then they've given Klanderman the D.C. role. Um, so you really have a ton of continuity over there. Um, and, and we all saw, you know, at times uh, the, the defense was, you know, borderline dominant at times last year. Again, injury bugs uh, and then especially some of those prolific offenses, you know, probably made it so they weren't, uh, you know, hitting on all cylinders towards the end of the season. But they still, you know, beat, you know, TCU, put up a ton of points on uh, Ohio State. So uh, you can't help but feel really bullish about the staff as a whole. So I'm going to pose this question to you. If you look at one through 13, because I think it's head coach and 12 assistants, right? Maybe, I don't know. Uh, but is this the best coaching staff in the entire Big 12? Is ten assistants, yeah, five on each side of the ball, and the head coach. And we'll throw we'll um, throw in Josh Buford, uh, Clint Brown, and Taylor Bratt to get make my thirteen correct. Oh, best thirteen, the best thirteen in the Big Twelve. There we go. The best thirteen, you know, I think yeah, you. It's hard because you don't have that kind of intimate knowledge of the other coaching staffs because you don't cover them on a daily basis, like I do Kansas State. Be reckless, Derek. Be yeah. reckless. I, I, I think TCU probably got a little bit worse as the staff. It felt like, um, I think Texas, Texas, I'll, I'll put the ones that I think that are on Kansas state's level. Uh, it's hard to say TCU isn't just because they just made the big 12 championship, but I'm not completely impressed with the turnover that they've had. I didn't love some of the transfer portal ads. So I'm a little down on TCU probably headed into the 23 season, a little bit more than others. I would imagine Texas tech, Probably not as high on them in terms of competing for a Big 12 title as others for the 2023 season. But as a coaching staff, I'm very high on what Texas Tech has. Baylor, I'm still waiting to see because I I think Dave Rand is a hell of a coach, but I don't think he's yet to figure out the offensive side of the ball enough to have the consistent success that we kind of anticipated once they had um, that really strong year not long ago. Um, they got to figure out the quarterback spot. I'm just, I don't know that that's necessarily happening at this point. Texas has a really good staff too. I mean, they have the best staff that money can buy, but until it breeds like actual championship results, it's it's hard to just sit here and give them blind faith at the same time. I don't think the Oklahoma State staff has changed a whole lot, but they also... Well, they all got yeah. new titles. Like basically the entire the entire Oklahoma State team got a new title upgrade, like Jim or Jim yeah. Bob or yeah. uh, the only the only one that actually left I thought was the defense coordinator Derek Mason, though. Yes, like, but then yeah. they all got like new titles. Like yeah. they're so, all a coordinator of something. 
Oh yeah, that sounds like familiar. Um, Things are say, definitely going well in Stillwater. They they've had a rough off season. Um, I don't I don't know that I would say that their coaching staff is trash or garbage or even below average or average. It's probably above average to pretty good, but I don't think that they're making really good decisions within that program that um, is you know make aligned with the college athletics being what it is now and what a college student athlete is. So I worry about them. Brent Venables, I kind of need him to prove it to me before I actually buy completely in. I know he put together a good staff. I, I'm i just going through it one by one, so it would probably take it too much time here. West Virginia, that's probably a lame duck staff. Iowa State, I think you, you, until they figure out something on offense that is consistently reliable, you wonder about them being a defensive-only team. Um, Quick question on like, Iowa State, because this is a guy that K-State fans – have talked about a lot. Uh, Shieldhouse going from wide receiver coach to offensive coordinator and coaching the quarter uh, quarterbacks. I think anyone who is a Big 12 fan and anyone who spent time in Kansas City think really highly of him as a recruiter. How do you think he's going to be making that step up, coaching quarterbacks, and then being the play caller for Iowa State? Well, it remains to be seen because – I'm the same way. I've really only seen him as a sharp recruiter. Not sure what he really can, if he's like basically on Colin Klein's level, you know, so to speak, you know, for example, when it comes to schematic and play goaling, because when you hear about Shilas, it's that it's those connections locally for recruiting ties that really separates him from the other coaches in the industry. He was really good as a recruiter in terms of being an actual coach, schemer, game planner, play caller. I mean, that remains to be seen. That's why Iowa State's kind of like Baylor until they figure out a reliable component on the offensive side of the ball, it they'll have a limited ceiling. And and until Chris Kleiman kind of got that with Colin Klein as his offensive coordinator, Kansas State was the same way. Like they were going to always have a pretty good defense. It's Chris Kleiman. Can they figure out the offensive side of the ball to be reliable enough to win at a championship level? Colin Klein made it so. Um, now Baylor and Iowa State have to do that. That's why Kansas State sprinted ahead of both of those as a program when at one time they were probably behind both um that was the difference so that's where iowa state and baylor need to close the gap i don't know if their hires or you know decisions that they made in the offseason do that for them hunter deckers is pretty limited at quarterback i don't i don't know if iowa state is the answer there ku i you know what you can make an argument ku might be they have a they still have a long way to go defensively but and he, I wish they probably maybe would have it. I don't wish I don't care what KU success, but to have success, they probably needed to make some changes on the defensive side of the ball. And I don't know that those happen to really make you feel great as a KU fan. But they are further along offensively than probably more than half the league, so they're going to have a chance to at least duplicate what they did last season. And I would put them above some staffs, and people would like open my eyes. But just having an offensive staff um doing what they do without really recruiting very well and and they do pretty well defensively on the transfer portal even though it hasn't bred results they just need i think they need better defensive coaches so i think kansas is probably a little bit better than what people realize and at the same time i think iowa state and baylor probably aren't we're gonna end uh with with four quick questions uh it's only february 20th so anything that's football related we're not going to hold you to it but of the four new coming incoming schools, what is the which is going to be the first one to play a game in Arlington? 
for a Big 12 championship. See, that's uh, that's tough <laughs> because I think, and I'm not saying Arlington type success, but I think the team probably most equipped to have to be successful the earliest, and I don't even think they're that good. It's probably Houston, just because they have a coaching staff that is not going to be completely have their eyes opened by the Big Twelve. They kind of been in the Big Twelve. They recruit similar athletes as the big 12 does being a school in Texas. They're not coming off a completely terrible year like BYU. They're not kind of in flux a little bit. And like UCF has just kind of been mired in mediocrity for a couple seasons. Um, and I think they'll, they'll have their eyes open the most in terms of being ready to play at a power five level. I know they have Gus Malzahn as a coach, but just from a roster standpoint, you kind of wonder about that depth. I think Houston might be a little bit farther along while having coaches that have also been in the Big 12. And Cincinnati, I just, you know, that's a huge demotion to head coach when you go from Luke Fickle to Scott Satterfield. I can't think of a bigger gap. That's a really head-scratching hire. I think I think they're in trouble probably the most. I would, I would have initially said UCF's in trouble the most for the first three or four years. I think it's Cincinnati just because of the coaching hire that they made to replace Luke Fickle. I think that was probably very disappointing for them. In the long run, if I want to take like this 10,000-foot point of view on those four teams, I don't think Houston has the like staying power to become what they are in basketball or anything like that to to be a normal Big 12 title contender, even though I think they'll probably be the best of the four at first maybe. Um, from a 10,000-foot point of view, it's probably BYU because of how resource-rich that they are. But I just wonder about that roster because they were pretty putrid against the, you know, an okay schedule last year. They play a lot of power five teams, but some of those power five teams weren't any good. Um, so they just, they really disappointed. But from a 10,000 point of view, as resource rich as they are, I think BYU probably has a very bright future. Um, at least in, when you probably look at it from an eight to 10 year standpoint, I think I would like BYU the most. You go to 20 or 30, and <laughs> which I know is kind of crazy to think about it that way. UCF ceiling might really be high. So, I don't think that they're going to be in the neighborhood, at least not in the first five or six years. But after that, if they can leverage the, I guess, organic resources that they have that others don't, like they, UCF has some advantages that case they can't touch. I mean, they're, you know, that that's going to be a huge alumni base at some point, um, very very soon, and then that becomes a pretty big fan base, right? And then you, you just build that out, and all of a sudden you have a ton of support. So. Down the line, UCF could be, and that's probably why the Big 12 made that addition. I don't know people don't like it because in the first five to 10 years, maybe it doesn't bear its fruit. But over time, that one could bear the most fruit. Way too early. Spring ball hasn't even started, but give me your obnoxiously early prediction of who is playing in Arlington that first Saturday in December 2023. Yeah, it's interesting because it kind of feels like Next year, football is kind of like, and I know some teams have separated themselves now in the basketball, but kind of like basketball, where I just like, I mean, is there a great team? I don't know. Is there a bad team? I don't know. Is there a bad team? I no, I, I mean, because here's the thing. You, you talk about those all those four new schools coming in, right? Um, it would not shock me if all four of those teams went in bowling. It wouldn't shock me if all four of those teams were, you know, around five and seven. Uh, for better or worse, uh, KU, they're going to be 
you know, contending to go six and six or maybe seven and five again this year. Um, Texas Tech, I think, is a dark horse for Arlington. Um, Oklahoma, I mean, with all that talent, can they really kind of, you know, just shuffle along for a second straight year? Texas was a contender this past year. Um, is Baylor the worst team? I mean, I no, I wouldn't say that. I mean, is it going to be Iowa State again? It might be. But again, when you have that good of a defense, uh, any given night they could beat anyone. So I don't think there's going to be a bad team. You know, you know, you know who who's there. There might be one. You know who it is? Oklahoma West State. West Virginia. Oh, West Virginia. I was going to say the the wheels just fall out on Mike Gundy, and uh, it, could, it could. But he he he's kind of one of those weird guys that you just can't kill. Too. No, no, so. you're correct. But you're right. West Virginia. I'm shocked they didn't fire Neil Brown. It, this is like I, I, the most lame duck season in the history of Big 12 football. Yeah, and I and I know that they have talent because of the way Fickle is recruited. Although I, I need to go look at it and wonder if, if a lot of those guys jumped in the transfer portal at one point or will during the spring window. But now, now that I really start, you, you we get the motors running. I wonder if the two worst. It's going to be interesting. Is the like the the old Big East schools, West Virginia and Cincinnati? Because I think Cincinnati's in for a, a, a bad day with with what they did for a coaching standpoint. Yeah, I I just kind of wonder why they decided to go Sattersfield. Um, again, he was a guy who before he made that jump up, he was always on like my own personal list for when Bill Snyder retired. But he just. He just wasn't any good. Like I, I, I mean, he was, the, about, the, he was about to get fired at yeah. Louisville. Yeah, I mean, he, I mean, he was one loss away from being fired in season. I, I think they were probably going to ride it out, but the fact that they hired him away from, like, was that just like a, hey, look, we can take someone from an ACC school? I don't understand that at all. Uh, it was uh, one of the more head scratching moves of the entire period, off season period, was what Cincinnati did and. Entering the Big Twelve, you just you wonder if that move becomes how disastrous that move becomes. Um, and maybe we're completely wrong. It just doesn't feel right. Um, like you said, at the same time, all four of those can make a bowl. All four of those could miss a bowl. I, I, yeah, I'll be very curious to see what happens. I mean, it's it's going to be this past year was pretty even. And that's why Kansas State and TCU kind of slid into the spots that they did, although TCU went, you know, undefeated in the regular season. So, you know, hats off to them. I just it felt pretty even though still throughout the year. And I think it will be again. Back to the original question. I'm gonna try to give you a real answer here. It's hard not to go Texas. It really is in a year that it doesn't feel like there's any great teams, and it's Sark's third year. They did it. People give them too hard of a time. As as fun as they were to laugh at at times, they still got a lot better last year. They went from, what, a five-win team to an eight-win team, right? Um, they make even a little bit more improvement. They're probably in Arlington. They don't even have to make a lot of improvement. And some of the teams that were up here are now down here, unless Oklahoma gets better. And – and I know people don't like to hear this, but now that you get a, they get to play, I think at least two of those new schools, that just softens their schedule more. It doesn't harden it. So I think Texas, and I know people say, well, everyone always picks Texas. They have to be the front runner this year. I, I, I don't think that there's really any tangible evidence to say that Texas should not play the Big 12 title. Now, if they underachieve and don't make it again, then Sark's head's going to be on the chopping block and he probably rightfully gets fired. But Texas should make the Big 12 championship game 
And I almost think they should make it with relative ease. I'd have to see what their non-conference schedule look like. But, man, just based on what their Big 12 schedule is going to look like, the, there's not going to be a lot of gimmies, but there's not going to be anyone that really scares them like teams could have this past season. So, I mean, Texas, if you could get a little bit of money, like on Texas advancing to the playoff, see what those odds are, that's probably a good play. And who will they be playing? Because you've only given me one. Yeah, that's uh, that's the hard part. I would like to say Kansas State. I think I think they're going to come close, but probably just a, a hair short. I'm just looking at it blindly, but I don't think West Virginia. I don't think any of those four new teams are good enough to do it. I don't think West Virginia is, or Iowa State, or KU. Oklahoma could surprise. They got the roster to do it, but I'm not going to bank on a coach that has shown very little, you know, evidence that he can do it. I just I'm not there yet on Texas Tech, but I'm running out of teams, right? Like you said, you're yeah. Like, I mean, and then it's and then it's uh, if you're not ready to get there with Texas Tech, then you're really down to TCU. I mean, TCU, and if you think Baylor make takes that step at quarterback, oh um, yeah, well I don't. Yeah. So yeah, I I I think Baylor. I th- there's so many teams that are close, in my opinion, that aren't there. But it, it, look, look. Here, I'll say it. I think it's going to be Texas against one of either Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, or Tech. Or Oklahoma, TCU, Baylor, Tech, K-State. It's one of those five against Texas. I will go to my head. I'm having a hard time here. So just well, hey, that that's fine. L- luckily for you, if if there is a Blitz Month 2023, you have plenty of time uh, to to figure things out. So if there is a Blitz Month, you have about four months uh, to figure it out. Uh, then you know the rules for that one. I'm a much more uh, of a stickler. Uh, final question for you, uh, and this is the only basketball one. What is What seed is K-State on Selection Sunday? Yeah, that's a good one. Um, you know what? They, they, have, they have already built up such a strong resume in terms of the numbers that the committee likes. That's why they were a three seed even yeah. before they beat Iowa state three like, seed before they played Iowa state, Iowa state was one slot in front of them. So I, I think it is, I think it would be fair to say that K state at least right now would be sitting at number 10 or 11 in the seeding uh, room for the NCAA tournament. So still sitting at that three spot. Yeah. I know fans feel like they're not playing great basketball and they probably aren't, uh, but, but, I think we have a hard time in our silos here because we say, well, you just lost Oklahoma and Texas Tech, the two worst teams in the Big 12. Like, how can you be the three seed? Well, if we get out of our little Big 12 silo, and I know it's hard to stay in it, and look at what everyone else has seen, it's like, well, what they see and what they know is they can look at the numbers and what it looks like. And it's like, those they might be your second to worst and your worst team in your league, but those aren't bad losses. Because every other team in the country has probably five losses worse than losing to Tech or Oklahoma. And I know that's hard to understand because we only see them as second to worst and worst. But that's not what everyone else sees. That's not what the committee sees. That's not what the Kim Palm sees. That's not what the Nets sees. I mean, Texas Tech was the worst at one point, and they were in the top 70. There was only big, there was, at one point, there was only three or four Big Ten and SEC teams in the top 70 of the net. So you put Tech and Oklahoma in any other league, they're probably in the top five, right? So that's that's what we have a hard time. It's probably because you got to almost recalibrate and don't think about this the last time that Kansas State was competing for an NCAA tournament bid because 
the landscape was entirely different. Then if you were sitting there at eight and six, then you would probably be a seven, eight or nine seed. But the Big 12 has come so much night and day on the basketball front, but that's just not the case anymore. West Virginia is four and 10 in the league and viewed as a comfortable NCAA tournament team right now. Think about that. Four and 10, and they're not even necessarily spoken about as a bubble team. Which, yeah. by the way, I, I understand that, but there's a part of me that thinks they should be a touch nervous because it's interesting to me as we sit here on Monday afternoon, West Virginia has the same conference record as Texas Tech and the same overall record as Texas Tech and just lost at home to Texas Tech. So I know the committee doesn't always look at it black and white like that, but that would be reason to me to give caution to the wind if I was the Mountaineers. But having said all that, because of all the quad wins that Kansas State has, they still have an ability to grab a few more. They are home against Baylor. You go to Oklahoma State, you go to West Virginia. Oklahoma will probably be quad two, but the other games are quad one games. You grab one of those and you're at, I yeah, you just got your eighth. So I think your ninth quad one win that would be, man, and I know that that could accompany two or three more losses, four if you count the Big 12 tournament, but you're still going to get the two win, more wins at least. Leash in the 22-23 win column with nine quad one wins. These are just the things that the committee loves. So if that's the case, I don't know about you, and I know it seems weird just because of how things have changed in terms of the brackets, because it used to be 20 you're in. It used to be you have no chance if you have 18. I mean, things are just so completely different. But if can't say even grads one more quad one win, and they have three other chances, at least probably four because of Kansas City, do they drop below a four seed? That's tough. I don't know. I I said on on the show that that published uh, today as we're recording on Monday. I I don't see because of where they have us as that three seed. I don't I don't see many scenarios that gets you uh, beyond a five. I think even if you lost out, I think there's a very real chance you're still a five seed. Yeah, because none. Because even if they if they lost out, people would be like, "Oh, you lost to all good teams." Well, not, not only all good teams, but again, it would probably. It, I know the net hasn't been around uh, long, but I think it would set a record for most like quad one wins as a five seed. Like, yeah, probably. five seeds last year were like had like four quad one wins. Like, it, if, 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 yeah, if Kansas State did in the non conference, would like most of their league foes did in the non-conference. And I know this wasn't Jerome Tank's fault. And I think he got to schedule one non-conference game and he probably would have done it a little bit differently. And the, and the, but the Butler loss is the worst loss and it's a quad two loss. Like I mean, for now, old, for now, I, it, 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 it might, cause they're like sitting at what, like 100. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I, it could I, I fall guess, to a quad three. Yeah, it could. Um, but it, it's even the only quad two loss that they have too. So they just have no real bad losses and that's what's helping them. Um, but if Kansas State did what the what a typical Big 12 team, all their other typical Big 12 teams did in non-conference, just imagine what their resume would look like because their resume really is a product of what they did the first month and a half in the Big 12. Yep, no, I, I'm right there with you. So that's all we have. I think we went a little longer than I told you I was going to keep you. But uh, before we uh, sign off, uh, just tell anyone anything you guys got going on over at Case Online Three Mob Plug, whatever you want. Yeah, I mean, uh, typical stuff this time of year. It's a dead period, but recruiting picks up in March for the football side. It'll pick up on the basketball side after the NCAA tournament. 
Um, but you know, you march on with us. I mean, we'll be in Kansas City before you know it for the Big 12 tournament. You'll have the NCAA tournament after that. I mean, that's a lot to be excited for. Uh, the, it isn't like throwing shade one way, but it's exciting to kind of be talking NCAA tournament again. Um, you know, I'm I booked at two hotels just in case because I I just imagine because you want to get ahead because the fans will cobble those hotel rooms up uh quickly too. So I try to plan ahead to make sure I get a good hotel room in time and. I don't get stiffed or anything like that and get it at a good rate. But like, I mean, I booked them for Denver and Des Moines because if you're a top four seed, you'll probably get slotted somewhere close to home. Those are the two closest to, to Kansas state in the first two rounds. Um, ideally you'd like to be in the Midwest region. So you can go to Kansas city. If you do make the sweet 16 elite eight, I don't know if they'll have the, I don't know if they'll have the luxury of that. That'll probably be tougher to attain according to where they are at now because you got to think that's going to be a hot item because the committee has a task on their hands and i know we're getting i'm really getting into the weeds here but the midwest region and you're talking about teams that could be slotted one two three four seeds obviously kansas obviously kansas state but you also got iowa state and creighton well so, i think houston's actually going to get that i think yeah. houston's going to get the midwest the one number seed. one seed yeah of the one seed so kansas will probably have to go somewhere else if, if that truly is the case unless Kansas wins a Big Twelve tournament, then I then I bet they get to stay in Kansas City. We'll see. Uh, historically, it seems like you know the committee hasn't given as much love to conference tournament champions of the bigger wonder, leagues as possible. But this, the Big Twelve, I wonder. I, I know. If that I, I was about to say this might be the case study for it. Um, I I don't want to burst your bubble because I I did a deep dive uh you know late last night when i couldn't sleep about des moines and denver uh arizona is like equidistance from denver and sacramento so if they send the arizona wildcats to denver uh baylor texas uh ku and denver those four teams are going to box us out of des moines and denver i'm afraid even if we are a three seed so we need to hope for like an arizona collapse or like a beat the shit out of Baylor and Baylor collapses or something because then, then, then what would it become? Would it go to Orlando? Orlando. I, I see a lot of Orlando again. I think at that point, I, I, I think, I think, uh, God, I hate oh, shit. I mean, yeah, I don't know. I, I think K-State might like, if we were a three seed and say KU, Arizona, Baylor and Texas are all one seeds or two seeds. I think there's a very real chance K-State could, get absolutely screwed as a three seed um hopefully in that scenario they would just send arizona to sacramento they might because there there's there is a shortage of teams out there that are really yeah but but i think like it's like almost equidistant arizona uh from sacramento it would make sense for them to send to sacramento though because like gonzaga is probably not a one or a two seeder you know what i mean so correct but uh gonzaga might be like a four seed they could, but then you put you could put Gonzaga and Arizona both there. Who else you got left? UCLA, I guess. UCLA would be there. Um, You're just running sure. out. Well, St. Mary's. St. Yeah. Mary's, yeah. I don't know. I don't want it to happen. I don't want it to happen. Also, I'm juggling. Like, I want to go to that, for, like, those first two rounds, regardless of where it is. Yeah. It's obviously it becomes easier if it's Des Moines or Denver, but I'm also getting new windows. But, like, and I, like, put, put everything down in, like, like on December 23rd, they still haven't scheduled it. Like they called me the other day and they're like, we're hoping to get the materials by, you know, the end of February. 
you know, and all this type of stuff. I'm like, oh my God, this is going to line up that like my install date is going to be during the NCAA tournament. I'm not going to be able to go. If that's well, the I case, think- we will be in Denver or Des Moines, but just as like kind of like a double bird to me from melting really down. Hoping, I'm really hoping Denver or Des Moines. I, I see the scenario that you laid out and that would be problematic especially because Creighton can take a Des Moines spot away as well. But uh, we're going to Creighton's not going to be like a top four seed. Are they? Uh, they, they, they have the ability to climb into it. Yeah. So that's one of your other ones. You got to hope for Creighton to fall off. Well, whatever. I, I, I just don't, don't want to go to Orlando. So get that dirty stuff out of your mouth. Dude, that is, that's been the, throughout the last month. That has been the most outside of when we kind of fell off once this kind of losing streak stopped. And like, it wasn't like, Ooh, one seed in Des Moines, Jerry Palm putting us as like the one seed for like the West region, all that type of stuff. I almost, it's like constantly Orlando and that would suck. I I wouldn't go. I would not go. Yeah. Orlando. See, I wouldn't want Orlando or Sacramento. Why why not? I mean, if you're going to give us a weird one, just put us in Birmingham. I don't know. (laughs) I wouldn't mind I wouldn't I would not be going to Birmingham, Alabama. It's closer than Orlando. I want to go to yeah. Birmingham. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean I, I guess expensive. if you're if you're like thinking about like okay, it's drivable. I mean, what's Birmingham? Like eleven hours, twelve hours? Yeah, probably I imagine. I mean, it's not great. I, I would figure well, you'd want to go back up to Ohio if uh if if we weren't getting Denver or uh I mean, Denver, I, I, would rather go to, I would rather go to Columbus than or, Orlando's like on my my on my last um, looking at these locations is Orlando and Sacramento like send me anywhere but those yeah. all right so you'd rather go to Albany than Orlando oh. in March I, I, I've never been to New York so yeah. but it's I mean then hope for the East region because Albany ugh. I, um, I mean, I, ideally, Albany would be my third one I'd want to avoid, and then I'd probably, although I've heard good things about Greensboro, North Carolina, but maybe not. Not don't listen to Jim Beheim, who said it's basically a trash place. Oh, Jim Beheim. Well, uh, I, I I hope listeners have enjoyed just uh, us bullshitting around for like the last like <laughs> ten minutes. But hey, you know what? That's that is vintage Bosco's boys right there to end the show. So. Uh, you know, Derek, make sure you guys are following him on Case Online on Twitter. Uh, listen to his dulcet tones on his podcast as well with Cole Manbeck and John. Uh, but that's all we have. So for Derek Young, for my dog Chauncey, we love you guys and go cats. Hail to the purple, hail to the white, wildcat in spirit. UK State Wildcats form alma mater fights. Glory in the combat for the purple and the white. Faithful to our colors, we will ever be a fighting, ever fighting for a wildcat victory. Fight, 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 fight. 
Podcast Network.